You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. This is Kurt Sumner, your host, welcoming you to uh, another episode, I guess is a good terminology to use for what we do here on uh, NSPS, or maybe episode isn't the correct, because that would imply that we keep on the same topic. We just have different episodes, and that's not really true. So I guess that was a, an incorrect word. But uh, today, actually, my guest who is joining us was with us last week on a little bit different topic. But as we were discussing that particular topic, we had a conversation after the fact about a related topic, um, which is a bit expanded from the one we talked about last time, but uh, at least is one that is important to surveyors and surveying. So with that, John Palatello, welcome to the show again. Thank you, Kirk. Good to be with you. I think anybody who ever takes the time to listen to this show or download the show probably knows John Palatello, but for those of you who may be joining us for the first time or perhaps have been hidden away in a cave somewhere over the last few years, uh, John Palatello uh, is with uh, John Palatello Associates. Uh, they are the NSPS Government Affairs Consultant. Uh, John and his firm also um Manage may be the right word. I don't know, John. The Virginia Surveying Society, the Maryland Surveying Society, and MAPS. So you can, corre- you can correct all my mistakes and expound as you wish. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. We provide association management services to all three of those organizations you mentioned, as well as government affairs services to NSPS. Yes, um, and, and speaking of those, this is a little bit off our topic, but um, our meeting last week, that was was a pretty interesting one, I thought, uh, with, with with regard to the GSA and all the the long history in that organization for our efforts there. Yes, Kurt, uh, you and I, uh, John Bird of my team, and Brian Palish from the American Society of Civil Engineers, were a delegation from COFPACE, the Council on Federal Procurement of Architect Engineer Services. And we had a meeting with the General Services Administration, GSA, um, in Washington, D.C., to talk about a longstanding difference of opinion we've had with them with regard to their promulgation of uh, GSA schedules or federal supply schedule contracts, um, which are all price-based. And they have for a decade been uh, facilitating the provision of services that fall under the Brooks Act and fall under the definition of A&E services, including surveying and mapping, we believe in violation of the Brooks Act. And most recently, or the most recent manifestation of that, is a new uh, schedule contract they're proposing called Cyborg, C-I-B-O-R-G, that uh, will include uh, a number of services that state licensing law defines as the practice of surveying. Most uh, egregious of those is uh, LIDAR collection and processing, which a number of states now define as being part of the practice of surveying. So we have an ongoing uh, difference of opinion with GSA, and we were in there to uh, discuss where we believe they are on the wrong side of the law and how we might be able to come up with mutually agree upon um, solutions to get them uh, in compliance with the qualifications-based selection and still facilitating uh, easier contracting by federal agencies. 
and I, and I brought that up uh, for the audience's benefit because I think it leads well into what we're going to talk about today and perhaps not precisely on on the topics we're talking about but I think it does have implications there and and our topic today is the campaign against occupational licensing in the broader sense not just in this particular situation but but to me there's there's a bit of a parallel there um, although um, if I'm correct and you you know more about this than do I of course John but People who are licensed professionals, I assume, end up on the GSA, quote, list of vendors, um, if I, I think I'm correct about that. So it's not necessarily that they're not using licensed people, or in, in, at least not in every case. They're just using a, the wrong procedure. Well, first of all, you're absolutely right that there is a nexus between our meeting with GSA last week and our uh, main topic of discussion today, and that is the the campaign against occupational licensing and what that means for surveyors or engineers or um, NSPS members that may be licensed in any of the disciplines where there is uh, licensing. And um, the problem with the GSA, now this is a little bit of diversion from surveying, but I'm going to give an engineering example. The GSA has a federal supply schedule for professional engineering services. And as most of our listeners know, one cannot offer professional engineering services in the market unless one is a professional engineer, a PE. And so what GSA is doing is enabling firms to offer to the federal government services that that individual or that firm cannot offer under state law. So there's very much a relationship between state licensing law and the federal government, and there is a relationship or a nexus between state licensing law and federal procurement, because in the Brooks Act, there is a reference back to state licensing. And that's another example of where we believe that GSA is on the wrong side of the law. So in the... In the the broader sense that that it, not a campaign necessarily, but a, a, a bit of a threat in our overall topic for today. Not the specific piece necessarily of, of what we're going to talk about today, but uh, for the audience benefit here, at, and, and I think all of our listeners will be aware of this, of course. But it seems as though as as time has evolved and situations occur, um, we we only tend to get interested in these issues when something comes along that we think is going to affect us directly. And when I say us, sometimes that goes right down to the personal level um, in in terms of where licensing is going. And, for example, one of the, I guess, one of the landmark cases out there was um, the one that, I, I forget what the actual practice was, that was considered um, a non-professional service or whatever, uh, and was in the licensing structure, but maybe maybe a good way to start off is to talk about um, a little bit of the history on licensing and, and where it seems to have gone. Maybe you have some ideas. Now, I de- certainly want to get to the threats, but maybe for background, we can talk about that the, the transition maybe is the right word or the evolution maybe of licensing and where it's kind of started out in in the professions as as we think about them and have spread really, really broadly across so many different pieces of activity. 
Well, Kurt, I think you're more of an expert on the, the history of surveying licensure than I. Uh, my uh, recollection is that California was the first state to license surveyors, and I believe that was in the late 1800s. Correct, uh, yeah. And, um, and so there has been uh, a long history in the United States of having licensure in certain professions or occupations. Um, what has happened is that um, that has grown over the years. And in fact, in the 1950s, about 4 or 5% of the total U.S. workforce was subject to some form of occupational licensing. And that by licensing, I mean a license to practice, a license to be in business granted by government not voluntary certification, not registration, where you simply have to register and there's no pre-qualification or what have you. We're talking about licensing as we know it in the surveying community. So in the 1950s, it was about 4%, 5% of the U.S. workforce that was subject to licensure. By 2008, that had grown to 25% of the workforce. So that is a significant increase. And the concern is, uh, again, we're talking in general terms right now, the concern is that that has a very anti-competitive effect on our economy. <coughs> um, we'll get into a little bit more detail as we go on, but just uh, as sort of an introduction, that's that's what has created the issue is the is the significant increase in the percentage of the workforce that's now licensed by government i've i've heard comments before john and I, and i don't necessarily have an opinion one way or the other on them but i have heard people say from time to time that that expansion you're talking about that went from 4 to 5% in the 50s to 25% 50 years later um was somewhat related to um the concept of, of maybe a revenue generator for states that if they license people, they get a licensing fee. I'm not sure how that how that equates out in terms of what it costs to run licensing agencies for all of those professions uh, as they're known, maybe I should say, uh, jobs, whether they're professions or not. But I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. What, what might have been the reason that this huge expansion occurred? The... Uh, the groups and the organizations that have been making an issue out of occupational licensing in the last uh, one or two years, their point is that um, it is not a means of revenue for the state, but that what has um, provided the stimulus for this expansion of licensing is an ability through a licensing board to restrain trade, to limit markets, and to protect the people in the very occupation um, from competition or to limit competition. And that, that adversely affects the public. So uh, there may have been some instances in the past where generating revenue through licensing fees was a motivation. 
but the concern that is out there among some parties today uh, is not with regard to revenue, but it is about limiting competition. I see it. So that that perception of unnecessarily uh, limiting competition is is part of the problem. And we're up, we're about ready to go to break here in a minute or so. But I guess that leads then to kind of the maybe the the first bullet we want to talk about now that we've sort of laid the groundwork. And you know what what exactly are those threats that are out there that are being brought forth? And then as we talk about those, of course, obviously we'll talk about why if what those why those threats have come up and and what where this is all likely to lead or maybe we don't know where it's likely to lead we just know that there's an issue that we we as professionals have to think about and each of us in our own realm of course uh, although there may be some interest in having a broader group pursue issues or or strategies that may benefit uh, the whole group so let's go take that first break and we'll come back and talk about uh, this topic further whether cruising the strip at a 57 chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 oldsmobile vista cruiser you need to tune in to classic cars with steve ronaldo and jim weber every saturday from 8 to 9 a.m on america's webradio.com Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with John Palatiello to talk about licensing and the threats to licensing and uh, and even a campaign against licensing that seems to be growing. And, as, and, of course, in the first segment, we talked a little bit about licensing and how it came to be and how widespread it has become and, and those kind of things. So maybe a good good place to start, John, is just... Tell the folks what the, the perspective is on, on what that threat is. There has been a growing uh, concern um, that has been um, proffered by some conservative libertarian organizations, the Koch brothers and the group called Americans for Prosperity that they uh, help finance and support. There's a group called the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, which is uh, pro-free market, moderate to conservative state legislators. There's an organization called the Institute for Justice, um, which is a libertarian 
organization that has litigated uh, unfair licensing restrictions on behalf of plaintiffs. And um, they were joined a few years ago by the Obama administration in a concern about licensing and the use of licensing as a way of limiting competition, in their view, and stifling entrepreneurship. Their their basic uh, hypothesis is that licensing often results in simply being a barrier to new market entry. It's protecting the incumbent licensed individuals or firms and excluding those who want to get into the game. Uh, There are arguments that that disproportionately restricts employment among lower-income and minority workers. There is a concern, and, and, and this is one that I think has some merit, there is some concern about the portability of licenses for military spouses. So when our, our men and women in uniform are uh, deployed and moved around the country uh, to different states, if their spouse is in a profession that's licensed and they're licensed in one state and then they move to another state, they may have to go virtually back to square one to get licensed in their new state of domicile. And so the feeling is that the um, lack of reciprocity or lack of consistency from one state to the other disproportionately harms our military spouses. And then overall, the argument is that many licenses have been put in place at the state level where there is no benefit to public health, welfare, and safety, that it is simply market competition. And since licensing boards in most states uh, are made up of the members of that licensed profession, some states have public members, but by and large, it is the profession self-regulating as a government licensing board, that that's uh, inherently uh, limiting competition. And so they ask the question, is all licensing necessary? And I think they they make a, a compelling case in some instances. And I will say that with regard to ALEC and Americans for Prosperity, uh, and, and some of those organizations. I've personally worked with those groups, and um, they're, they're very good pro-free market groups. Um, I'm just concerned about the, the broad brush with which they are um, approaching this particular issue. So let me give you some examples. Um, across the country, there are states where you have to be licensed to be a painting contractor. You have to be licensed to be a florist. You have to be licensed to be a cosmetologist. You have to be licensed to be a hair braider. Um, In Savannah, Georgia, this was just in the news uh, last week, you have to be licensed to be a tour guide in historic Savannah, Georgia. Now, where is the public health, welfare, and safety of that? Um, In Virginia, uh, where you and I live, Kurt, Boxing promoters are licensed. There's only four of them. So you have a licensing board and a government structure to license and regulate an industry. This is the promoters. These are the people who sponsor and put on a boxing match. 
not the referees, not the people who are involved in the safety of the of the combatants, if you will. But there's only four of them. Um, in Louisiana, there was a licensing provision that said that only licensed undertakers could sell caskets to the public. That was ultimately overturned by a court. But if you had a loved one who was deceased and you were planning the funeral, you couldn't go online or you couldn't go to the Yellow Pages to a casket retailer or wholesaler to buy the casket. You had to go through a licensed undertaker. So these examples of licensing requirements that serve no public health, welfare, and safety interest uh, are providing you know, very compelling ammunition or cannon fodder for the opponents of licensure. The concern that I have and, and the reason why we're doing this show today and what I have tried to highlight with NSPS is that if this campaign is very, it uses a very broad brush, um, then surveyors become impacted or engineers become impacted. And if there is a broad brush, we may get swept with this movement when, in fact, there is a compelling public health, welfare, and safety reason why surveyors, engineers, other design professionals are licensed. Yes, Mr. And I guess one of the questions people would ask, uh, just people like me who are who, who are surveyors. Um, no, you were busy. But I guess the first word out of our mouth would be, "Well, why don't people understand that what we do does in fact have a, a major impact on, on people's lives?" I mean, we're dealing with their land, which is somewhere in the top three or four, no, probably things that are in that report. And, and so, our immediate reaction would be that. So, I, I guess. Uh, that then brings a question of no, likelihood, and do you get so caught up in the furor of all of it, combined with perhaps, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, combined with all the ease of use equipment that's out there today that seemingly in people's minds makes what surveyors in particular do uh, Pretty simplistic. Well, you know, I never. Well, I think the good people of Houston, Texas, would tell you that good, accurate elevation data is pretty darn important to them right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I mean that. I mean, the game set match with regard to impact on public health, welfare, and safety. So, if you have the best technology in the world, but you don't have a a qualified professional who's collecting that data, interpreting that data, and then presenting that data for applications and usage, um, you know, literally, um, you know, you're bringing on uh, a, a, a dam bursting and a, uh, a flood of water uh, that certainly impacts one's health, welfare, and safety. So, um, you know, the difference between the access and ease of technology on one hand and a competent professional on the other is, I think, um, a very stark difference when it comes to the profession of surveying. And it, it, it seems, though, that in the circles where the attempts are made to what we consider in surveying undermine what we do and whether it's through somebody taking the GIS data and, and say, telling people, making videos to say, here's how you go find and reestablish your own property 
corners to to whatever may be the case. You know, and so for for people in our position, we look at that and and just are horrified by the whole thought of it. But it, the the cachet of it seems to be growing, at, at least from my perspective, it is out there. Well, and the the public is, uh, you know, I'm going to use that one of my favorite words, ubiquitous. The geospatial data is becoming so ubiquitous to the American public now or the world public through, you know, different apps on your phone, through Google Maps, through a navigation system uh, on your car. I mean, people people now use the term GPS like they would use the term Kleenex. You know, GPS just means <laughs> exactly. I, have, I have this device that navigates me. It's called my GPS. Well, no, it's not exactly, but that's how commonplace this data has become. That's how ubiquitous this data has become in all of our lives. And and so I and guess what people don't realize what people don't realize is there is a need for accuracy in that data. Um, maybe not, you know, centimeter accuracy for navigation. Um, unless you're talking about driverless vehicles, then we can come back to that in another time. But but um, but when you're talking about elevation data, for example, or you know the, the your property line between you and your neighbor. There is a significant economic and, um, uh, you know, your own welfare, your safety um, is is dependent upon the accuracy of that data and the, um, um, you know, the, the, the um, fiduciary responsibility and the, um, um, the ethics and the competence of the surveyor who's making those determinations, the fidelity of the surveyor. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and likewise, in what we have all typically looked at as, quote, the professions, which, and, and you can talk about this a bit, is typically, and, and what we think of other professions, is, is our boards are normally surveyor architecture engineering. Um, and sometimes those are separate boards and states, and oh, sometimes they're not. But it. we, we tend to think of it in those terms, although, of course, that whole, as you pointed out earlier, uh, that That's it. group of licensed activities well, has expanded so far. And, and I think sometimes we just uh, we just look at it specifically from our point of view, which we should, obviously, but maybe Two weeks? not think so oh. much about getting caught up in the whole concept You're overall, right. Right. wrongly or rightly. Well, here's, here's the issue um, that has really focused a lot of attention, and that is that there was a case that ended up going to the U.S. Supreme Court in 2015, mm-hmm. and it was a North Carolina State Dental Board, uh, North Carolina State Board of Dental Examiners versus the Federal Trade Commission. And the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against the North Carolina Dental Board and said, you are restraining trade. The issue was, who can do teeth whitening services? And the North Carolina Dental Board said, only a licensed dentist can do that. There were hygienists or others who were not licensed dentists who said, I do no, we John, we're, we're 10 seconds from break, so let's come back and pick up on that case right after the That's break, because th- uh, this, this is a good platform to, to go forward. So let's go to break. We'll be right back. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. 
If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, John, you were talking about that that case in North Carolina related to the, the dental board that sort of, I don't know, kicked this whole thing off or, or maybe brought it to people's attention uh, more openly somehow. So just follow up on that for us. So the, the real movement started in uh, July of 2012, and the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, that I mentioned before, it's an organization of uh, moderate to conservative pro-free market state legislators. They came out with a model law for state legislatures, and it was it's a bill that, that attempts to de-emphasize licensing and sort of clear the underbrush of um, of licensing that has sort of overstepped its bounds. Now, in my conversations with my friends at ALEC, they are quick to say, oh, we're not going after surveying or engineering or uh, medical licensing. But their bill really doesn't make that distinction. Um, so that's what really sort of got things started. In March of 2014, the House Small Business Committee actually held a hearing on uh, the impact of licensing on entrepreneurship and on the creation and growth of small business. You'll recall, Kurt, that CoughPace submitted a letter to the committee regarding that hearing um, and to the Small Business Administration pointing out that uh, architecture, engineering, surveying, mapping, does have a compelling public health, welfare, and safety uh, implication and that uh, any attempt to uh, limit licensing should exempt uh, the disciplines in the in design field. And then in February of 2015, the North Carolina Dental Board case um, 
was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, it's important to point out that the North Carolina Dental Board is not appointed by the governor. It's appointed by the North Carolina Dental Association. And that's a very important distinction. And so when that board said only dentists can do teeth whitening, the Supreme Court ultimately said, you have overstepped your bounds. You are using the facade of a government licensing board to regulate commerce and to limit competition when, in fact, it's dentists limiting competition using the banner or facade of government, and that's anti-competitive and violates the Antitrust Act uh, of the federal government. That has had a very chilling effect on a lot of licensing boards. I have had conversations with a number of NSPS members that are members of licensing boards. I have talked to executive directors of some licensing boards. I have spoken to attorneys uh, in state government, in attorneys general offices that provide counsel to licensing boards, and they have all said that that North Carolina dental board case has really made licensing boards stop and and particularly surveying licensing boards um, are now very very cautious about what they do um, even when it truly is protecting public health welfare and safety because they feel that there is now a new uh, oversight and almost a new standard on what is or is not just to limit competition. So, for example, um, in many states, um, there are uh, UAS activities, drones, people using drones for surveying. There are a lot of states that are very reluctant to step in and say, you're practicing surveying without a license when you perform certain services with a drone. And the reason why there's some reluctance on the part of some licensing boards is because of the North Carolina dental case. So as a result of that, um, the Obama White House actually came out with a white paper in July of 2015 that talks about the problems in licensing and the effect on entrepreneurship, the effect on new small business startups, the effect on military spouses, the things that we discussed earlier. And um, that really started um, uh, gaining some um, <clears throat> uh, some traction, and people started really getting um, uh, paying attention to it. So a couple of other things happened about the same time, June of, of 2015. The Texas State Supreme Court um, ruled on a case of Patel versus the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, and this had to do with eyebrow threaders. Don't ask me what an eyebrow threader does, but um, the court ruled that the requirement of, and I'm quoting, the requirement of 750 hours of training to become licensed is not just unreasonable or harsh, it is also so burdensome as to be oppressive. And the well, Supreme Court in Texas ruled against the licensing program for eyebrow threaders. Um, but this issue is still alive uh, today. Uh, in Congress, and um, I'd be happy to uh, give you an update on some things that are happening uh, as we speak. 
Yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Uh, one question I had on what you were just talking about, though, you you made mention about the appointment of boards and how um, that particular one in North Carolina was a a profession regulated board, for lack of a better term. That that's pretty uncommon, though, isn't it? That is for, uncommon, and it is yeah. certainly uncommon in in our field. I don't know of a state where the state society actually names the member of the board. Um, in most states, the state surveying society has a good working relationship with their governor's office, and they make recommendations to the governor. But ultimately, it's an appointment by the governor, not by the surveying society. That was not the case with the North Carolina Dental Board. Um, it was an appointment made by the society itself, and that's a very, very important distinction. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you and I talked about this, so I, I may be throwing something at you that you hadn't heard or, or, or talked about, but I was reading something recently with regard to an issue where um, maybe it was a, a, a policy written or, or something proposed that would appear to have board members themselves be susceptible to lawsuit. Have you heard anything about that? That is part of the um, the North Carolina dental case. I mean, it, okay, it is that, I guess that's right. Of, okay, it is. I mean, the issue is that that there is a certain immunity that a licensing board enjoys because it is a governmental body, and what the Supreme Court said in that case is um, that that immunity does not apply where the licensing board is truly limiting competition. So that immunity from uh, legal recourse is basically um, uh, was abused. Now, that's actually a very good segue to the next thing that I wanted to talk about because there is legislation that has been introduced in Congress. Now, even though this is state by state, intra, in, within a state regulation, the Congress has become involved. Um, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who is a you know very conservative sort of libertarian pro free market senator, has really taken this issue under his wing. He has a a bill. It's S sixteen forty nine. There's a companion House bill H R thirty four forty six by Congressman Daryl Issa from. San Diego, California. And what it does is it provides a framework that the federal government would establish under which the state licensing boards would operate. And basically what it does is two things. One is it encourages the states to adopt the least restricted least restrictive method of regulating occupations. So the least restrictive is just full and open market competition, all the way down where the most restrictive is state licensure. And so there's almost a hierarchy in the bill that says, in Senator Lee's view, here's the best way to regulate, and that is the laws of supply and demand. Just leave it to the open market. So the most restrictive being state licensing. The second thing the bill does, and I'm not an attorney and I'm, I'm really going out on a limb here, but it does change the standard standard with regard to immunity for licensing boards. Now, Senator Lee would argue that 
this is helping to establish a, an understandable standard given the North Carolina dental case. Um, but that may have been where you read something is that Senator Lee and Congressman Issa's bill does go after the issue of the immunity of the licensing board and its members. That could be the case, yeah. That may be what, what I was looking at. Now, um, with regard to where we are with the federal government, um, Senator Lee has also created um, or offered an amendment that was approved by the Senate on the Defense, National Defense Authorization Act that's now right as we speak in a House-Senate conference. It requires the Department of Defense to create a joint federal-state clearinghouse on licensure with regard to military spouses that we discussed earlier. It, um, it calls on the Department of Defense to come up with um, recommendations on creating a federal state task force on eliminating licensure, uh, eliminating unnecessary and duplicative licensing requirements, and ways to make it easier for military spouses to have portability of their license from one state to the next. And so that was approved by the Senate. It's in a House-Senate conference committee. Um, and that just occurred um, in September. Also in September, the um, a subcommittee in, in the House, in the House Judiciary Committee, held a hearing on occupational licensure, limits on competition, and this immunity issue. The Labor Department has about $8.5 million that was appropriated last year to look at the issue of licensing portability. I have not had an update from, um, from the Labor Department on where they are on that, but the money was appropriated to support the continuation of an effort to establish a consortium or multiple consortia of states to analyze and develop frameworks for reciprocity or other forms of portability for certain occupational licenses. Uh, the goal is to reduce unnecessary barriers to mobility and reemployment for dislocated workers, uh, transitioning service members, military spouses, and others. Again, this is all very generic. This is about licensing generally. When we're we come back to to and talk about... Yeah, we're going to have to go to break. Okay. So let's come back and talk about that further because I know our honest want to hear about that. So we'll be back Very in good. a couple minutes. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes. Your back-friendly steak. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, John, with our last segment, being who we are and sometimes paranoid, we might tend to think to ourselves that the sky's falling and all kinds of things are happening, and I guess we need to keep level heads about that. But uh, one of the things I did want to ask you about was uh, federal-level activities, you know, that these things that you're talking about and how, how, how would they affect or how could they affect any professions, in particular ours? Well, the, this is sort of a good news, bad news proposition, uh, Kurt. The, the bad news is that there is... Um, this overall generic broad brush uh, campaign and concern about occupational licensing. The good news is that uh, I have seen little or no evidence of anyone targeting uh, surveying licensure in all of this. Um, So there is legislation in Congress, there have been amendments to bills, there have been congressional hearings, there was a white paper published by the Obama administration. Those were all federal efforts. At the state level, uh, many licensing boards go through a sunset review, and that could be an opportunity for an opponent of licensing to uh, go after surveying licensors. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, um, but I'm, I'm trying to help our, our listeners understand that there is a federal component to this issue, and then there is, of course, a state component. Now, we have tried to be vigilant at the federal level on behalf of uh, NSPS and surveyors, and and you've been very much involved in that as well. Uh, You attended a town hall meeting on licensing uh, hosted by the Federal Trade Commission. I believe it was in late July. Uh, And perhaps you can tell our listeners a little bit about uh, that meeting and what you came away with from the standpoint of... uh, the Federal Trade Commission's consideration of this issue in the context of surveying. Yeah, it was sort of an interesting meeting. I, I, I guess my preconceived notion when I went in there was that I was going to hear something that would would uh, scare me in terms of affecting what what we do. But I just was it was totally um, a blank slate in my mind, really, because I, I'm thinking, okay, what are they really going to talk about here? And they had a whole panel of probably seven or eight people who, who brought up issues related to um, uh, the Trade Commission's view on licensing or what, what it should be. And I guess from the, from the peace of mind side of it, there was no conversation at all in that whole period of time I was there as it related to professions as we think about them, you know, the, what 
I guess the big three in our minds, uh, obviously, but certainly nothing about about surveying at all. Um, and and so when I left, I was relieved, but I was uh, I, I felt uh, disrespected maybe because we, you know we didn't get mentioned at all. And then I thought, well, that's probably a really good thing. Uh, I so think I guess it's the, a good thing. The the point is um, maybe maybe we're not on the radar nearly as much as we may jump to the conclusion we we might be. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I have personally had an opportunity to have a conversation with the uh, the acting uh, chair of the Federal Trade Commission, and I have uh, had a conversation with the attorney on the staff of the Federal Trade Commission that is handling this issue, and that gave me an opportunity to um, talk about the uh, distinction between some of these more frivolous licensing programs in some states and surveying and the public health, welfare, and safety uh, uh, reasons for licensing of surveyors. So I think um, the fact that surveying was not mentioned at that town hall and we've not seen anything coming from the FTC is actually a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the surveying community should rest on its laurels. I think there are a number of things that our members uh, can and should do, both individually and among our um, uh, our state societies. And and the first is that uh, famous surveyor Thomas Jefferson once said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. And so, our members, our licensing boards, our state societies have to keep an eye on the state legislatures um, to make sure that uh, that onerous or um, ill-conceived legislation is not passed. In Maryland, for example, um, this year, the legislature passed a bill that gives any cabinet secretary the authority to veto any ruling or regulation from a licensing board under his or her jurisdiction. So, for example, the licensing board in Maryland comes under the Department of Labor Licensing and Regulation, DLLR. That secretary has the authority to overrule the licensing board under the new new law. Um, That, again, was generic. That wasn't specific to to surveying. But these are the kinds of things where, you know, that one is somewhat benign, but there could be other instances where things come up in the legislature to out and out do away with the licensing board or or shackle the licensing board in a manner that um, that really isn't good for the public or the profession. And I can um, kind of see where that might even happen, perhaps unintentionally. They just kind of get caught up in something that's passed, and it has an impact when maybe nobody thought about it that it could. I, so all the more reason that bill to build it. Yes, and that bill in Maryland was all about a response to the North Carolina dental case and had nothing to do with surveying, but again, a broad-brush approach. So we need to make sure that there's coordination um, among our state societies and between um, NSPS and our, and our state societies and make sure we're communicating and, and helping one another. Uh, we need to make the case to distinguish surveying from the more frivolous or ludicrous licensing schemes that are out there for buying caskets or giving a historic tour um, versus the public health, welfare, and safety uh, aspects of surveying. Um, 
we need to use some of the arguments that have been used when some of our states have had their licensing board go before sunset review. Um, and again, as I said before, make the case for the fact that um, uh, there is a public health, welfare, and safety implication to the surveying profession and that licensing is in the public interest um, for that reason and is not a tool for simply limiting competition. So one of the things that I've been trying to do, Kurt, and, and you've been working with me on is um, I'm sure that we have state societies out there that have had their licensing board go through a sunset review and the licensing board survives and is renewed. We'd like to collect any of the letters, any of the testimony, any white papers that were written. We'd like to collect what our state societies have done over the last several years to justify their licensing board um, because we at NSPS would like to write a an all-encompassing white paper that everyone can use if there should become a threat in their state. And so I would renew my call to uh, surveyors across the country and the state societies. If you have anything in your files, if there's anything that you've done in recent years to justify the continuation of surveying licensing and your surveying licensing board, please send them to, to UCUR, and we want to try to compile that and come up with a useful document for all of our members all across the country. Yeah, absolutely. That that's that's an excellent idea. So you had mentioned um I don't know if you went through everything you had mentioned there were several things you want to talk about. Of course, we started out with the diligence for for me all of this is part of the diligence part. Yeah. Um for sure. Um so beyond that, um, are are there other things that we all need to be doing? No, that's really it. Uh, I mean, I think it is um it is important for uh, surveyors and their state societies to be talking to legislators at the state level in particular um, and reminding them of uh, the importance of surveying licensure, of explaining what the surveying profession is. Uh, and again, uh, I'm sounding like a, like a broken record, but making the case for why it is in the interest of public health, welfare, and safety for surveying to be licensed. Um, you know, forearmed is forewarned, and so, um, you know, having a good message and a good elevator speech and uh, a compelling case for surveying licensure, I think, is in the, the best interest of the public and the profession. One of the things that I'll do, Kurt, is uh, a lot of the information that we've discussed today, I actually have in a PowerPoint presentation, and I will get that to you, and we can put that up on the NSPS website as a resource for our members. Um, it'll be up there on the, I think when you go on the homepage, you click on Advocacy, and there's a drop-down, right. and it says Government Affairs, and we can put it up on there, and um, and folks can use that, because I have some links references to these court cases and the legislation that we've discussed here this morning. Yeah, that's a great idea. And by the way, I just made a note to myself earlier when you were going through the whole uh, uh, vigilance part of things. And uh, I've actually heard a couple of comments. I can't recall exactly where they came from with regard to this sort of protectionism for ourselves that people sometimes perceive. Um, oftentimes they'll point to our small numbers as uh, obvious uh, evidence that we're trying to 
to be protective, which I thought was kind of interesting that people would look at that from that perspective rather than the fact that we're we're really trying to get more numbers. Yes, and you know you make a great point though, Kurt. Um, I'm one who believes that um, in the political world you have to be very careful with the terminology that you use. And I counsel folks when talking about surveying licensure, do not use the word protection. Our goal is not to protect the profession. The goal here, if you're going to protect anything, it's the public interest and the public health, welfare, and safety. But our goal in this is not protection of the surveying profession. I think that's not that's a, a dangerous and, and um, inadvisable term to use in our advocacy on this particular issue. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we're in our last minute now, but I did want to thank you for being on the show with me today and just helping to, to you know, put a focus on this issue and how we need to be proactive as we move ahead and and prepare uh, information we need, share it with other people, get it out there, and and have conversation about this before we get to the point where we have to have conversations about it. You're absolutely right. Uh, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed this, and um, I hope this was uh, helpful to our members and listeners and that they are forewarned about an emerging threat and that uh, we can proactively um, uh, take this on before it becomes a, a critical issue in any state. Yeah, absolutely true, and, and thanks to you guys, uh, you and J.B., and Everybody over at your place does a great job for us, but you and J.B. in particular. And we'll be seeing J.B. in a few days for his report to the board. So thanks the again most for valuable, The most valuable player in the members of Congress versus lobbyist basketball game last week. Absolutely. Thanks again, John. Talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks, Kirk. Bye-bye. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.